that doesn't happen very often either. I'm normally responsible for my own series, but tonight I haven't speaking anything I wanted. And I was thinking, what about should I speak about? And this is the sentence that I wrote next, two weeks ago, when I prepared this message. After Covid messed up everything, things seem to be settling down again. <laughs> Must have written that about three days before Ruth tested positive with Covid. So all of last week I had a headache, I had a sore throat, I had a tight chest. I have done five Covid tests and they are all negative. I think my head will fall off if I prod it again with another wretched swab. But what are we going to talk about in this new season that we're heading into together? And I thought it would be really good to think tonight about our life as an investment. So we're going to look at the fantastically encouraging verses that Duncan just read for us from 2 Corinthians 9. The abundant, generous, overflowing life. Does that sound good? Bring it on. And against that backdrop... I also want to say something about the challenges of keeping on investing our life as we get older. Now the question of investing our life is not whether we'll invest our life. Because our life just keeps ticking by, whether we're paying attention to it or not. We cannot help but invest our life. The question is how will we invest our life? If we believe, I don't just mean to say the right answer, but if we're really convinced that Jesus is going to come back again and he's going to throw sin, evil and death out of the world, raise the dead and make everything new, surely that should shape how we live now, yeah? Surely it should. So how then practically can we invest our life? There are obvious things we can do. We can introduce people to Jesus and help them to grow in their faith. We can care for hurting people and build community. There are vital things we can do like praying, like giving. There are subtle things we can do like practically serving. Helping run things, taking social initiative with people. There's a few kind of very dramatic ways that we can invest our life for God. We could go off to an unreached people group and become a missionary. But I think a life well spent is very often made up of hundreds of thousands of very, very little things that we do for God. Not a few spectacular things, because often, you know, those few spectacular things are motivated by a desire to be seen by others. I love that little bit in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul suddenly addresses slaves in the Roman Empire. This is what he says to them. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does whether slave or free. I love that. Think about the situation of a slave in the ancient world. They have very little control over 
how they invested their life. They couldn't go on a mission. They couldn't become a pastor. They didn't have much money to give. They didn't have much free time to serve the church. But God said to them, if you'll do what you're doing for your masters as if you were doing it for me, then I'll reward you. There's a great key in that, isn't there? The bottom line is it is not so important what we do. What really matters is who are we doing it for. Right, let's jump into this passage. Um, if you've still got it, um, turn it to you now. If not, it's page 1163. And we're going to read verse 6. Let's read that verse together, shall we? Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So, Paul is talking about growing things. I might have asked you this question before, and I apologise if I have, but I've got a question for you. When is the best time to plant a fruit tree? A year ago. 20 years ago is the best time to plant a fruit tree, isn't it? Excellent. Nice one. When's the second best time to plant a fruit tree? Right now. Right now. A farmer can't make anything grow, can they? But if a farmer doesn't sow, there is no way she's going to reap a harvest. If we want our lives to bear a harvest, then the thing that we've got to do is... So, so, so. So here's a question. Do we want to reap a sparing harvest or a generous harvest? God will not be cheated. But there's a fantastic promise here, isn't there? If we'll sow generously, we'll reap generously. Now who's heard of the, the prosperity gospel here? Hands up if you've heard of the prosperity gospel. Okay, some, some of us have heard of the prosperity gospel. But the idea is you're taught that if you give generously, God will make you rich and pour out his blessing upon you. That's certainly not what's going on here. That's simply an attempt to exploit Jesus for worldly gain. What's going on here is much more like become Christ like Christ and know his peace, know his joy, know his love. The key is so, so, so. Secondly, verse 7. Let's read that together. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is great. This is great. The, the word cheerful giver, I'm told, is the same root word that we get our word hilarious from. God loves a hilarious giver. That's great, isn't it? Now, we're talking tonight about investing our lives generally, but Paul was talking very specifically about money, which focuses our minds somewhat. John Wesley famously said, didn't he, the last part of a man to be converted was his... Wallet, yes, pocket wallet, absolutely. 
I remember being at a church a while ago and they were having a giving day and uh, the minister spent some time exhorting the congregation to give generously. And then he said this, if you wake up tomorrow morning and you regret what you've given, come and tell me and I will give it to you all back again. That's great, isn't it? I love that. How healthy. When we're thinking about giving or any form of investing our life, God wants our investment to be given freely, not under compulsion. In other words, if we're going to effectively invest our life, it has to be an expression of God's love in our hearts, yeah? If we're going to invest our life effectively, it's got to be an expression of God's love in our heart. Because if we invest out of a sense of compulsion or duty, then we will always end up resenting the thing that we've invested in, and it won't do us any good. Nothing more depressing than giving something and it being totally ineffective. 1 Corinthians 13, we looked at this morning, it warns us, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, have not love, I gain nothing. That would be brute, wouldn't it? Be martyred by being burnt at the stake and gain nothing for it. Hmm. See if we can avoid that one. God is not looking for dutiful investment. I mean, think about it. It's hardly like God needs our help, is it? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? God is looking for people who want to invest and spend their life sharing in his heart. Right, let's look at verse 8. This is wild. What happens when God finds someone who wants to share in his heart? Let's read 8 together. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's a fun verse, isn't it? Just look at all the alls in there. All grace, all things, all you need, abounding. When God finds someone who wants to share his heart, then he makes all grace abound to them. Grace is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Grace is a wonderful thing. God's unconditional kindness and generosity and love. When God finds a heart after his heart, he makes all grace abound to that person. Grace is good, All grace abounding must be amazing, mustn't it? Bring it on. That we too might abound in every good work. God gives us all that we need so we can share in his generosity, his heart. Verse 10 and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower 
and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now the reason that the prosperity gospel is so toxic is because it says, be generous to get rich. It feeds our selfishness. So if God blesses our selfishness, then it only makes our selfishness worse. This verse has it the other way round. God wants to make us rich to enable us to be generous. God pours his goodness and his riches into our life so that we can be a conduit of his blessings to the world. And so we can know the generosity of his heart. Our God, who delights to bless the world. What is the limit of God's blessing in the world? It's our selfishness. God is in no sense reticent to bless us. Think of the parable of the prodigal son. At every point in that story, God is willing to give all that he has to both his sons, regardless of their attitude towards him. The problem with giving is not a reticence in God's heart. God is the most free, generous being in the universe. The problem is if he blesses our selfishness, he only ruins us even further. But when God finds a generous heart, then that person can become a vehicle for his blessing in the world. And that leads to thanksgiving. Hmm. Is that a problem? Does thanksgiving to God sound like what you want to hear at the end of that? We have to think about it a little bit, but thanksgiving is also for our benefit. It's not like God's ego needs to be stroked. It's not like, I'm feeling a bit insecure today, tell me how wonderful I am again. That's not what God is like. Thanksgiving is when we contemplate the goodness and the graciousness and the generosity of God. And so we start to see our whole life, our whole world, in light of who God is. That shapes our heart. Right, read with me verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So what happens if God causes all his grace to abound to us? then our life can overflow with grace and with love and with generosity. This is the life in all its fullness that Jesus promised. This is the spring of living water that wells up within us. This is the life that draws people to Christ. This is the life well lived in light of eternity. This is the life that Jesus wants for us. The best investment of our lives, our time, 
our effort, our skills, our treasure, our prayer, our relationship, ourselves. I want to say something about the challenges of keeping on investing our lives as we get older. Every stage of human life has its particular temptations. In our younger days, the temptation to lust, to power, to ambition can be very strong. I'm not sure that totally goes away. But as we get older, we've had more time to become disillusioned with the ideals of our youth. Many of our hopes have been disappointed. We have a more realistic view of the sinfulness of humanity. You know, the story of the woman caught in adultery, and Jesus challenges those who want to condemn her. Let you without sin cast the first throne, and they all go away, the oldest first, because they've had longest to realise the depth of their own brokenness. As we get older, we don't have the energy that we used to have, and we're confronted by the reality of our mortality. And life has often proved to us that faith is rather more nuanced than we'd expect or perhaps even hoped. And so all of these experiences challenge the joy of our salvation and they tempt us to pull back and to wind down and to focus on just getting through. But of course, focusing on getting through is ultimately a doomed strategy, isn't it? We're not going to get through. Getting through is a resurrection job. And that's not our work, that's Jesus' work. The sad irony is that often later in life, whilst we may have less energy, we often have more money, we often have more time, we often have more experience and wisdom to invest. And so whilst the ways that we invest our life for God may have to change, what we have to offer may actually grow as we get older. God enlarges our store of seed. Perhaps our life gives us more disposable income. Perhaps we have more time to pray and to take social initiative. Perhaps we have greater insight and wisdom that we can contribute. Our investment of ourselves might change as we get older, but we might end up investing more rather than less. What are the critical things we're to finish well. Firstly, obviously, we've got to connect, guard our heart connection to God. We've got to guard it from cynicism, from tiredness, from frustration, because it's the wellspring of our life. Secondly, we've got to keep before us the hope of Jesus' return. Every time we watch the news, we're reminded what a terrible mess the world is. And we're bombarded by messages of suffering and sadness and hopelessness. How can we keep the glorious future of the return of Jesus before us? How can we be more attentive to that than we are to the news? That would, that would change our life, wouldn't it? If, if we had more reminders that Jesus was coming back than we did reminders that the world was falling apart. That, that, would, that would be helpful, wouldn't it? How can we do that practically? What can we use to prompt ourselves, to cause our thoughts to be drawn back to our hope? 
Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day as we look forward to that day and speed its coming. We may feel weak, but as Paul reminds us, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Third thing to remember as we think about investing our life, the things that seem so important to us in the early days of our faith, the things that we do may not be the most important things. What truly changes things is when people experience who we are, for better or for worse. Throughout my spiritual life, one of the things that has consistently nourished me the most is being around older believers who radiate the light and love of Christ. I think of my dear friend, Dr. Leon Ledune, now with the Lord in glory. Every time I go and see Leon, I'd come back and Ruth would say, how was it? I said, when I get older, I want to be like Leon. Because there was something about him that stirred my heart for Christ. And Christ just rubbed off of him. Finally, we need to keep thinking about the truths of this passage. We have nothing to give of ourselves. It's only God's grace abounding in us that can make us fruitful. And if we'll keep stepping out, sowing, not in the huge things, but in the little, everyday acts of kindness and generosity and faith, then God will make sure we reap generously to his glory. Getting older is really hard. I remember David King saying to me the other day, it is not for the faint-hearted, but it can also be an opportunity for the most fruitful time in our lives. So let's not give up. Let's look up and keep going. Jesus is coming. Amen. Lord, we love you.